So tonight, I'm going to talk about discipleship, and that's one of my favorite things to talk about, evangelism, discipleship. I love talking about that. And I, I, I was thinking, I don't think I'm the only person that's, that does this, but have you ever thought about what it would be like to be a disciple in the time of Jesus? To be one of his disciples, to follow him, to hear his words spoken to you, to watch him heal people, to watch the miracles. And I think every time that I read through the Gospels or the, or the book of Acts or even any other books of the Bible, sometimes I'll sit there and I'll just get so into it and I'll just think about it, how I'd react to something in that way. Or So um, I kind of always wondered what it would be like. And so I started studying on it and reading it. And um, thankfully, we do have that intimate relationship with him because we have his word, the Bible. And it's through his word that we can know exactly what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I love how Billy Graham answered someone's question one time. And the person asked the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And Billy Graham said, a disciple is simply someone who believes in Jesus and seeks to follow him in his or her daily life. Originally, of course, a disciple was someone who was literally knew Jesus in the flesh and followed him. But after he's taken up to heaven, anyone who committed to Jesus was called a disciple. And that's what you are. Now that you have come to Christ and are seeking to follow him. Graham goes on to say, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It means, first of all, that we want to learn from him. And we will, as we study God's word, the Bible, and listen to others teach from it. Make the Bible part of your everyday life. The psalmist said, the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I really like that answer that he gave. It kind of gives us an example of what a follower of Christ and what a disciple is. So if we want to stand up and we're going to read uh, from the scriptures. This is from Matthew 4, 18 to 20. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Lord God, we just thank you for this evening tonight that we can come and gather and study and read your word. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll just be with us throughout the night and that you'll give us your words, Lord, to speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So from the moment that Jesus called his disciples, he told them that he would transform them into something different. Jesus took these men who were fishermen and he turned them into fisher for men. Jesus changed their mission in life. And every step of the way, he was guiding them. He was teaching them and he was showing them how to share with others, how to minister, how to help those that were in need, 
and how to connect people to know God in a real way. Jesus taught his disciples to share the word, to show the word, to teach the word, and to serve the world. So Jesus was training his disciples so that they could train others, and so on and so on. And so first, a couple things about this passage of Matthew 4 is, first, these fishermen knew who Jesus was. If we remember when we read in John 1, 35 to 42, we know that Jesus had already talked to Andrew and Peter. And we know that Jesus was in the area and he'd been preaching and teaching all over. So they had to have heard about him. They trusted John's word, John the Baptist's word. So they knew deep down that this was the Messiah. And so when Jesus called to called them to follow him, they knew what kind of a man he was. And so they were willing to drop everything that they had and follow him. They were thoroughly convinced because of what they heard and what they saw and knowing how John the Baptist talked about him. And they knew that following him would change their lives forever. Then if we notice the second thing here is that they didn't make any excuses. They didn't say, you know what, now is not really a good time for me to follow you. The fisher biting pretty good. Can we just wait a little bit? Can I think about it? They didn't make any excuses. Another thing is they didn't ask him a whole bunch of questions that we know of. It doesn't say from the text that they did. I think sometimes maybe I would have maybe thought about like, you know, hey, where are we going? What do you mean we're going to fish for men? I mean, I, I don't know. But they knew that their life was going to be changed with him. And so they left right away and they followed him. Jesus wants us to serve him. And he calls all of us to follow him just as we are. When Jesus asks us to serve him, we have to be like the disciples and do it right away. I love reading about the disciples. In the Gospels, I love reading about their lives and, and how, they've, how they completely changed. I mean, we see in some of the Gospels, and sometimes I'll, I'll think to myself, what are they doing or what are they thinking? Or, you know, but we see how they mature in their faith and we see how they mature as Jesus teaches them and how they, through the Holy Spirit, became changers of life for everybody, for a lot of people there. And so one of my favorite ways to show about how these men matured in their faith is just by reading about how they reacted to certain situations. If you take Peter, for instance, which if you're you got to come to church on Sunday because pastor's preaching about Peter's grit. And I think that's going to be a great sermon. I can't wait to hear it. So if we take Peter, if we read in the Gospel of John, we read about how after Jesus died and then he, appeared to, he rose and then he appeared to them, Jesus told them in Matthew, we read, that he told them to go and wait for him in Galilee. And so I think they probably grew impatient because they went there and they didn't hear from Jesus at all. 
So they might have grown impatient or maybe they got bored just sitting there. But what we see is that Peter said that he was going back fishing. He was going back to his normal life of what he knew. And so the others followed him. And so this is what he did before he met Jesus. But what they didn't realize is that sometimes God makes us wait on him in order for our faith to move forward. But then if we read in the book of Acts, we see in Acts 1-4 that Jesus told them not to leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, which you have heard me speak about. And so then Jesus also said, they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then when Jesus was taken up into the cloud while they were watching, they could no longer see him. But I love what happens next in Acts 1. In Acts 1.14, it says that they met together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What a huge difference this is. First of all, Peter goes fishing, but then now he stays there with them and he prays and he waits, just as Jesus said. So he didn't go fishing. They stayed and they prayed with each other until the Holy Spirit came upon them. There's so many great stories in the Bible that shows us how the disciples did ministry with Jesus and how he taught them what to do when he was gone. And so one thing that we read throughout Scripture is that we see that Jesus oftentimes brought his disciples where there were others that were in need. And we kind of see this over and over again, that Jesus brought his disciples to places and he put them in situations where there were people who were in great need. And one of the stories I want to focus on is in John 6, 1 through 13. And we read about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Everybody probably knows that story. So there's a large crowd following Jesus because of his miracles that he was performing. He was healing the sick. He was giving other signs. People were hearing about him. And so they wanted to see these miracles. They loved miracles. The people loved to see the miracles. And so they gathered around him, and they went everywhere that he went. They just followed him. And many of these people probably traveled for days without eating. There was no fast food place for them to just grab a quick hamburger on the way. So a lot of them went many days without eating. And we know that Jesus could have just stood there and knew these people were hungry and he could have just given them food just like that. We've seen it happen before because he's God and he's the creator of the universe so it would not have been impossible for him to feed all these people. But Jesus wanted to see his disciples and he wanted them to be involved. He wanted them to help those who were in need so the first thing that he did was he asked Philip, where can we buy some bread? Now the first thing I ask here is Philip's not 
the well-known disciple like Peter or John. Or, so why would he ask Philip? And so one thing that we do know is that this was in Bethesda or Bethsaida, and he asked Philip because he knew that he was from that area. And we read that in John 1.44 that Philip was from that area. But also Jesus wanted to see how Philip would handle this situation. Because we see in John 6.6 6, that Jesus said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do here. And it says right there that he was testing him to see what he would do. He wanted to see what Philip and the others would say and how they would handle it. He wanted to see how they were going to feed the multitudes. The problem is, is that then when they were put in a situation, as we go on and read, we see that they never really answered Jesus' question of how they were going to feed the multitudes. They were so focused on how many there were, how much it's going to cost. They had their calculator out saying, well, we have this many people, and they have wives, and they have children, so it'll probably be this much money if we go and get fish and bread. That's what their thinking was. They were thinking in the natural. They weren't thinking spiritually. They weren't thinking. And we know the rest of the story. Andrew found a boy who had five barley loaves and two fish. And so Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks. And they had enough to eat to feed everybody. And they still had so much more left that they were able to put it in the baskets. So we see from this passage that the disciples were learning from Jesus how to meet the needs of the people around them. I think that there's one thing I'm probably for certain on is that probably Philip never forgot that question or what he should have done or what he should have said. Because Jesus was giving them hands-on experience in caring for others. Another thing that we see is that Jesus taught his disciples to be servants. Mark 10.45 says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is another way that Jesus taught his disciples. He was teaching them humility and his servanthood. And when he did this, it was when he washed their feet in the upper room during the Last Supper. And we read about that in John 13, 1 through 17. And I love the way that Max Lucado describes this in one of his books. He wrote, It has been a long day. Jerusalem is packed with Passover guests, most of whom clamor for a glimpse of the teacher. The spring sun is warm, the streets are dry, and the disciples are a long way from home. A splash of cool water would be refreshing. The disciples enter the room one by one, and they take their place around the table. On the wall hangs a towel, and on the floor sit a pitcher and a basin. Any one of the disciples could volunteer for the job, 
but not one of them does. After a few moments, Jesus stands and he removes his outer garment and he wraps a servant's girdle around his waist. He takes up the basin and he kneels before one of the disciples. He unlaces a sandal and gently lifts the foot, places it in the basin, covers it with water, and begins to bathe it. One grimy foot after another. Jesus works his way down the row. In Jesus' day, the washing of feet was a task reserved not just for servants, but the lowest of the servants. In this case, the one with the towel and basin is the king of the universe. And so this, what Jesus did for them, is in direct contrast to what the disciples had been arguing about earlier. If you remember, the disciples were arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest. Just like my kids argue, which one of you is going to be the greatest child? Which one's my favorite? I'm not going to say. <laughs> They're all my favorite. They were so worried about this that they didn't realize that there was no one there to wash their feet. They were so consumed about who was the best and who was the greatest that they didn't even realize it. And it never occurred to them to just get up and wash each other's feet. Again, here Jesus was teaching them to serve one another in lowliness, in heart and mind, and to continually build up one another in humility and love. And we should take example of this also, and we should emulate Christ in our own lives. When we have that servant's heart that the Lord promised us that we will be greatly blessed. We also see that Jesus taught his disciples to do life together. If you think about it, these men that he chose, these 12 disciples that he chose, they walked daily with Jesus. They did life with Jesus for those three years. And Jesus was the life giver who did life with these disciples. They saw Jesus go through almost every situation that you can think of. And they also saw how Jesus handled all of these situations. And so they had a relationship with Jesus. And because Jesus taught them to do life with him, they also learned to do life with each other. In Acts 2.42, we read that the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. This was all taught and followed from Jesus teaching his disciples. And now there's new followers of Christ, and they're also teaching them. So they would go and they would learn from the disciples. And they would fellowship together. And they would do life together. And while the disciples were following Jesus, they had the opportunity many, many times to watch him pray. 
And as a matter of fact, we read in Luke 11.1 1, that Jesus was praying, and when he was finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And so not only were they asking him to show them and teach them how to pray, but they also knew that John the Baptist taught his followers how to pray. And they knew how Jesus felt about John the Baptist. So we see that John also influenced these disciples in their thinking as well. And so the disciples knew how important prayer was to Jesus. So they wanted to learn from him how to pray. They wanted to learn from him how to be in the Father's presence and how to come away having peace. This is exactly why we need to do life together. This is why we need to be coming to Wednesday night services and coming to church on Sunday mornings. It's also important for us to gather on Saturday nights for prayer. It's important for us to get involved in the so many wonderful ministries that Woodland offers. It's why I say over and over again, it's very important for us to get into small groups. Small groups are very important. And all of this is so that we can do life together and so that we can build lifelong relationships with each other and so that we can pray for one another and we can learn from each other. We also know that through all of this, we see that Jesus was teaching his disciples and he was equipping them. So now Jesus is equipping them and releasing them to do ministry. In Matthew 28, 16 to 20, we read about the great suggestion. I'm just kidding. It's called the Great Commission. So the, the disciples left for Galilee and they went to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And so then in verse 18, we read that Jesus said to them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. No pressure, right? <laughs> this is the outline that Jesus gave to his disciples. This is the reason why Jesus, we see him teaching everything that we've been talking about tonight. For them to be servants. For them to do life together. Because this is that outline that Jesus gave to his, his apostles after he had risen from the dead. And so this is how Jesus expected them and all those that followed him to do. And this is what we're to do also. 
And we also see it in Acts 1.8. We read Jesus' command to the apostles once again when he tells them to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and the ends of the earth. When we go through the book of Acts, we actually see the Great Commission being fulfilled in that book. In chapters 1 through 7, we see that they evangelize Jerusalem. And then when we move to chapters 8 through 12, it expands through Judea and Samaria. And then in chapters 13 and 28, the gospel reaches the ends of the earth. And so for us, we have to look at the Great Commission is that we imitate Jesus' example and that we continually build relationships with others so that we can make disciples in our communities and wherever we are called. And it's also that we teach and we train others to become passionate followers of Christ. That's what it's all about. It's for us to teach and to train others to become passionate followers of Christ. And all throughout Scripture, in the, in the Gospels, we see this all throughout the Gospels, that Jesus taught, and he modeled this for his disciples. Because he knew that there was going to come a time that he wouldn't be with them. And they needed to know all of this. They needed to learn all of this, just like we do. He wanted them to be able to make disciples independently with the help of the Holy Spirit because disciples will always be dependent on God, which is why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit when he left them. But Jesus led his disciples to become spiritual, mature disciples who are able to make more disciples. And then those disciples made more disciples. And you know what? We're disciples here today because of that. And it worked. <laughs> I put a couple things here for your growth work. And so the first thing is, is that we have to remember that Jesus did not call anyone that was perfect. Going through some of these stories that we went through about how the disciples reacted to some of their, you know, of what Jesus taught, we know that the disciples walked with Jesus and they learned from Jesus and they watched Jesus, but there were still many, many times that they just didn't get it. And we're the same way. There's so many times that we just don't get it. But that's okay because we're not perfect. The disciples were not perfect. And Jesus loves us and can use us anyways. I mean, if you think about it, they fell asleep and they left him alone during the time of his agony in the garden. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. 
Thomas doubted. And at the cross, all the disciples except for John deserted him and fled. When he needed their support, it seems like they constantly disappointed him. But he loved them because he knew exactly what they would become. And that's the same way with us. He loves us and he knows exactly what we will become. And I think that if Jesus can transform his disciples, then he can transform us. Because the disciples were ordinary men who God used in an extraordinary manner. Number two, we should have a servant's heart. And so having a servant's heart, it means not only to put our others' needs ahead of our own, but we're also to serve with the right motivation. And that is to put God's will first. The proper motivation is not to do it because you're going to get something out of it or you're hoping to get somebody to say, good job. It's that we're putting God's will first and we're helping those that are in need. Philippians 2, 3, and 5 says, do, not, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is stressing here is that we should be in unity and we should love one another. And how do we do this? We can do this by caring for the problems of others as if they were our own problems. If we care about others' problems as much as we care about our own, I think that we'd live in a better world. And we can demonstrate Christ's example of serving others and putting each other first. And when we do that, we experience unity. We can choose daily our attitude. And we can approach life either expecting to be served or we can look for opportunities in our daily life to serve others. The third point is to make disciples. We have to make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So how do we make disciples? Well, the first thing that we can do is we can share the word. We live according to the word in our daily lives and we speak the gospel. And we can tell others about Jesus and how they can be saved from their sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that Jesus was not telling these 11 guys on a mountain to just pair up and disciple each other. 
He didn't say that. He was telling them to reach people who have not been reached with the gospel. And that's what we're told to do also. We can also show the word. So once we share the word with someone and they put their faith in Christ, we then show them how to follow Jesus on a daily basis. We don't just share the gospel with somebody and then just let them figure things out for themselves. We disciple them by reading the Bible with them, by spending time with them, by spending time in the word with them and helping them understand what the word is saying to them. Also by praying with them and for them. sharing life experiences with them. Grow in Christ with them so that they can now go and lead others to Christ. Making disciples is important because it's the Lord's chosen method of spreading the good news of salvation through Jesus. And with Jesus' first words to his disciples, of come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus then spent more than three years of making disciples by teaching and training the 12 that he chose. Though we see that they were imperfect, we also see that through his teachings and his life, they believed and they knew that he was the promised Messiah. And Jesus used everyday opportunities to train his disciples to serve and minister to others. So tonight I'm asking you, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you, if you believe in Jesus. I'm not asking you if you're a regular church attender. And it's not even about whether you give or serve but are you a disciple of Jesus? If you remember what Billy Graham said, a disciple is simply someone who believes in Jesus and seeks to follow him in his or her daily life. It means, first of all, that we want to learn from him as we study God's word. So I ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a passionate follower of Christ? Are you a learner? Do you want to learn all that you can about him? Do you study his word? Do you read scriptures daily? Do you think about how you can imitate Jesus' example in your daily life? I know many people have jobs that they get evaluated and they have a boss that evaluates their, their job performance. And following Jesus is not a job performance. But I do think that we, each one of us, need to evaluate our life on a regular basis. At the end of each day or at the end of the week or at the end of the month. And when we evaluate our own life, 
we consider whether we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Are you actively seeking to develop a Christ-like character? Are you developing a good prayer life? Do you find yourself praying more? Because all of these are descriptions of what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. And they form a picture of what it looks like to be a passionate follower of Christ. You don't have to answer me, but think to yourself, how do you measure up? If you're like me, probably not as well as you'd like to. But the great thing is, is that when we read about the disciples, we see that it's okay. And we can start right now, right where you are, wherever you are, I urge you to decide now, today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you're going to follow Christ and that you're going to be a passionate follower of Christ and that you're going to be a disciple. I pray that you'll do this both for your sake and the sake of everybody else. Because being a passionate follower of Christ is awesome. Amen? Lord God, I just thank you again for your word, Father. And I just thank you for all these stories that we read about the disciples and how you taught them and, and how they were trained. And that we take this to heart, Lord, that we want to become passionate followers of Christ. And that we'll go to your word daily and we'll go to you and pray daily, Father. And I also pray for Pastor and, and his family, Lord, as they're going to be traveling back for this weekend. Just pray that you'll keep them safe and out of harm's way. And I pray for their little uh, grandson, Josiah, as we pray for him all the time, Lord. And we just pray for a miracle in his life, Lord. And all of those who we pray daily for that are sick, that are going maybe for a surgery, Lord, somebody in our family, a friend of ours, Lord, just pray for them, Father. Just lift them all up. I pray for all of those, Father, that are fighting this storm, this hurricane that's coming, Lord. Just pray that you'll keep them safe. I pray that that storm will subside, Lord, and not hit as hard as they think it will. And I pray for all of those, Lord, that come to our church on Sunday, Lord. I just pray that they'll enjoy themselves and they'll love hearing your word and that they'll make a commitment to be passionate followers of Christ if they're not already. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.